we invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. I know your pastor looked at last week, but as we explore during this, one that I hope is encouraging to you as well. Just wanted to, just a, a caveat, if I see you see me grabbing my ear, there is no infection, so you don't need to be afraid. It's, they're breaking in a new mic. They gave me one of those Brittany mics, um, and I have promised that I will resist any urge I have to do any dance moves, so we'll all be, we'll all be happier that way. A reading will begin in verse 1. Our focus will be verse 11 of Matthew chapter 2. For the context, we want to read the whole portion. Hear God's word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ had, uh, was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May the Lord bless us and give us understanding from his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come now to give this time to your word, we pray that you would be at work to do as you have promised. For you have told us that your word does not come back empty, that you who are at work within us and continuing to do a work in us to transform us that we may die to our own sin and we may grow in the righteousness of Christ, that we may grow to become more like Christ. We pray that you would use this time even now to bring us comfort to bring us direction, to bring us focus, and even to bring into focus our own error, our own weaknesses. Father, we come knowing that we are in need to continually be constructed, not only to be built up, but built together, that we may reflect the glory of Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So, Father, even now as we commit this time, we pray that your spirit would work teaching us your word so that what we learn is not merely of the mind, but transforming of our spirit and our soul. We pray this in Christ, who is our Redeemer King. Amen. It's less than 10 days to go. Eight days of shopping, I guess, if I count the, from the calendar, 
be nine days from the calendar till Christmas, but if you wait till Christmas morning, you're pretty much up a creek. But I have to confess that I get paralyzed sometimes when the numbers starting in the countdown, because I haven't finished the shopping that I'm supposed to do. And I'm not necessarily sure of what it is that I'm supposed to get. It's confusing, it's difficult, I know all the, some of the old rules, and so I seek counsel wherever I'm able to find it in terms of, to help me get an idea of what I ought to get for people around me for Christmas. And so this week I sought the counsel of the syndicated um, satirist Dave Barry, who gave me some insights that I wanted to pass on to you who, are, who also perhaps have shopping left to do. He has good insights both for women, what you might want to get for the men in your life, and and uh, men for the women in your life as well. And so let's, uh, let's look to see what Dave Barry has to say that might help us in our shopping. For the gifts for men, Dave Barry writes this. Men are amused by almost any idiot thing. That's why professional ice hockey is so popular. So buying gifts for them is easy. But you should never buy them clothes. Men believe they already have all the clothes they will ever need, and new ones make them nervous. For example, your average man has 84 ties, but he wears, at most, only three of them. He has learned through humiliating trial and error that if he wears any of the other 81 ties, his wife will probably laugh at him. You're not going to wear that tie with that suit, are you? So he's narrowed it down to three safe ties and has gone several years without being laughed at. If you give him a new tie... He will pretend to like it, but deep inside, he will hate you. <laughs> if you want to give a man something practical, consider tires. More than once, I would have gladly traded all the gifts I got for a new set of tires. So ladies, if you haven't yet bought husbands, sons, fathers, gifts, Dave Barry has given you some counsel. Guys, here's what Dave Barry has learned that perhaps may be helpful for us for the gifts for women. Again, you should avoid buying clothes, but not because women don't like clothes. The problem is sizes. First of all, women's clothing sizes don't mean anything. Suppose you're looking at a dress, and the tag says it's a size 14. You could measure that dress with every known measuring instrument, checking it for every known unit of measurement, and you would never find any dimension that was 14 anythings long. Not only that, but you would never find any dimension that corresponded to the same dimension on any other size 14 dress. And not only that, but chances are you would never find any woman in the entire world who would admit to being a size 14. <laughs> Another problem is color. Women do not, see, do not see color the way men do. Suppose several women are in a paint store looking at a sample of orange paint. The paint can label may say orange, and the paint may appear obviously orange to a male, but the women will never use the word orange to describe it. They will say things like, it has a lot of blue, or it's too much gray. Don't ask me to explain it. All I know is, if a woman tells a man she'd like a green star for Christmas, he'll go out and buy a scarf that he believes to be green, based on his concept of green, which he got from crayons in the second grade. She will look at the scarf as if it were covered with maggots. 
then show it to her friends and say, I asked Harold for a green scarf and just look what he got me. <laughs> They'll all have a good laugh and then she'll return it. So the safest gift for women are expensive little bottles of colorless liquid, which are sold in cosmetic counters under the names of Eau de Water. Dave Barry has given us the counsel for us as we finish the shopping for those who are around us. The driving question of the season is not really what are you getting for the other people around you, but what will you get and what will you give Jesus this season? After all, it's his birthday that we are coming to celebrate. And as we, for the past couple of weeks, looked at, and I, I shared, there just seems something odd and even inappropriate about having a birthday party for someone who's having a birthday and buying presents for everyone else, but getting and giving nothing to the one whose birth we are actually celebrating. Compounding that problem is the fact that as we began this series, we began realizing that Christmas actually is God's gift to us in the person of Jesus. God blessed us and through Christ, who although he was rich, through his poverty, by becoming like us, he has enriched us in every way. God has already given us a tremendous gift. And so we come to this Christmas season celebrating the birth of Christ, who is a gift to us and who continues to give us blessings. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that we are going to give to Jesus this holiday season? We're buying gifts for a husband or a wife, or parents, or for children is difficult. It's all the more difficult to imagine what you might give to the God who created all things, the God who has sustained all things, and the God who has given you all things. He is not in need, but it is appropriate that we would give him gifts as we come and celebrate this season. And that's why we looked at this particular, very familiar passage as we come to the gifts of the Magi. Now, we don't know a whole lot about these men. In fact, we don't even know how many of them there really were. Tradition tells us that there were three. That's why we sing, you know, we three kings from Orient are and other songs. We just assume that there are three because there are three gifts listed. Likely, as there was a whole army of these guys, maybe not all of them of the same rank, but these guys were rulers and leaders, kings in their own area. And so they would have had a tremendous entourage with them, even if there were, even if there were only three of the kings, and likely there were more than that as well, because it would have traveled in a band. And so a whole, whole army would have been traveling throughout the deserts in the Middle East, following the star, looking for the promised Messiah who was born in order that they may honor him with these gifts. Now, we don't know how many of the, of the wise men there were, and we may not know much about them, but it is interesting to me that God has chosen to record for all of us to ponder these three particular gifts. And I suggested to you last week that it's because these gifts, not only were they something that had value and would have been precious within the culture, but these three gifts also are reflective of the promised Messiah, the person of Christ when he was born. Each of these three gifts corresponds to what the Bible calls his offices, the offices that are common throughout the Old Testament, but only one person in all of history was to possess and, and carry out and execute all three offices at the same time, prophet, priest, and king. That was the promised Messiah. It was a sign that Jesus was the one whom God had sent. And as we looked last week, we saw that the gift of gold is an appropriate gift to give to a majestic king. Next week, we will look and see that the gift of myrrh is appropriate to give to a martyred prophet. This morning, I want to consider the fact that 
incense is an appropriate gift to give to a ministering priest. See, Jesus was not only the promised Messiah, but as the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us, he was our great high priest. There have been priests throughout Israel's history. There's priests everywhere else. But all of the priests that God had raised up were a mere foreshadowing of the great priest that was to come who would offer the ultimate sacrifice. He himself would be the sacrifice. That is Christ. So the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus our great high priest, which makes incense an appropriate gift to give him for his birthday. And this morning I want to just consider a couple of reasons why the gift of incense is an appropriate gift for you and for me to give to Jesus for his birthday. A way to honor him, a way to recognize him, uh, and, and a way to bless him and gain benefit in it ourselves. The first reason is really relatively simple. It's a, that uh, incense is a perfect present for a perfect person. Frankincense is unusual in that it, it grows in the rocks in very shallow soil. It doesn't really go deep. It's a bush that grows in the midst of the rocks, and then it, the, the frankincense uh, is, is part of that bush and grows in the rocks. It's unusual because most, most plants and most bushes don't grow in rocks, and anything that grows and, and bears fruit usually has to be deep down in the soil in order to get its nutrients. Frankincense, the bush that frankincense comes from, is very shallow and doesn't go deep into the ground. And in one sense, it's a per make it a perfect present because it's a perfect reflection of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And although Jesus walked this earth, his roots were not deep in it. His roots go into heaven. He was fully man, and so he was as human as you and me, but his roots go back to before there was a foundation of the earth Jesus' roots were not in the earth. One scholar poetically put it, Jesus was the rock who tread very lightly while he was traveling through this world. So when we think of incense, in one sense it's a, an appropriate gift to give to Jesus. Jesus who is the rock, who is not deeply rooted in this world, who's not bound to or by anything in this world is therefore free and is therefore pure. And incense is an appropriate gift to give to one who is both free and pure. The frankincense in particular is a, a gummy white substance that when it's crushed or when it's burned it emits a, a fragrant odor. In fact when it's burned it will also put a pure white puff of smoke uh, that, um, that will hover and, and, and fill the room and smell sweet. The word frankincense literally means, if you were to break up the etymology of it, literally means to be white. Now in our culture, other than the unfortunate racial stereotypes that sometimes come between white and black, most people recognize, regardless of race or origin, that when we think of something as pure, white is what comes to mind. Because against white, all blemishes show. And so if something is pure white, we know that it is spotless and it is pure. It is, and that's what frankincense is, both in its own color and in the smoke that it emits. It's pure and sweet in its aroma. Perfect for Jesus. Because the same writer of Hebrews who says that he is our great high priest also explained to us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. In other words, giving the gift of frankincense to Jesus during Christmas is to recognize 
his purity and his holiness as well as his humanity. Because he is like us and yet he has no sin. He is holy and he is pure. And giving the gift of frankincense is to recognize his holiness. Frankincense is not only the perfect present for the perfect person, but it's also a practical present for a priestly person. Frankincense was used almost exclusively by the priests, the priesthood in Israel. You wonder where they use it. They use it primarily in, in two different occasions. One was in the temple or in the tabernacle at the altar of incense. Right in front of the veil, there was a, a small table that was about uh, three feet high and about a foot and a half in, 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 a, in a square. And on top of that would sit a, uh, a tray or, or something that you would be able to put the incense in, and the incense would burn perpetually. Every morning and every evening, the priest would go in and they would refill the decanter and so that the incense would be perpetually burning and so that there would be a beautiful white puff of smoke hovering over the altar and a beautiful fragrant aroma that would also be emitted uh, continuously. They would come every single day. Exodus uh, 30 re reveals that to us. Revelation chapter 8 has a similar scene, but this time in heaven rather than in the temple, and it tells us that what, the, what the smoke above the altar represented. Because in Revelation 8, there's, there's, a, there's clear instructions as the incense, as the smoke is, is hovering above it, it's to be offered with the prayers. And so the incense and the, uh, the, incense and the sm pure white smoke being lifted up was a tangible expression representing prayer. Prayers are to be offered but this was a, a tangible aspect of that. And so when we think of frankincense as it was used in the temple, it simply reflects, reflects prayer. The other occasion that incense was used, and frankincense in particular, was in the grain or the, the meal offering that you find in Leviticus 2 and Leviticus 6. And as the name suggests, this was an offering of, of grains that people would voluntarily make. This was not for any sin. This was not to compensate for anything. The grain offering was a voluntary act that those who are followers of the Lord, those who belong to him, would make and essentially be saying, Lord, this grain I'm offering to you because all things that I have came from you in the first place. And so therefore, everything I have, I give to you. Everything that I am, I give to you. And the grain offering would be offered as a, a sense of devotion, a commitment to walk with the Lord and to realize we live in a covenant relationship with the Lord. And when that offering was given, the priests were instructed to mix in with the grain that had been brought to be offered. They were to mix in frankincense. And so when the offering was given, it would also continue to emit a fragrant odor in the sacrifice. One thing that I found interesting is that there's one other place that frankincense is specifically listed, and, but it is prohibited. And that is in the offering of the sin offering or the guilt offering. God has instructed us not to add that there. The reason for that is Jesus is, himself is our sin offering, and his very life and his blood is the sweet offering and sweet aroma that bring, brings pleasure to God and a sweetness to the nostrils of anyone who has partaken of him. But in the two places where frankincense is used by the priest, it, it represents two important and related things. Prayer and purity. Purity of a life committed to the Lord. The purity of the life realizing everything that comes from God. 
so that's what makes frankincense an appropriate gift to be giving to Jesus, our great high priest, during this Advent season when we prepare for and expect and, and celebrate his birth. One thing that's important for us to realize is that while Jesus is the great high priest, he's not the only priest. And it's not an order of priests anymore, but as Peter has told us, that we who are in Christ have been a are now a chosen people. Once we were not a people, but now we are a chosen people. He has made us into a royal priesthood. We have functions of the priest. Part of that is not to come and offer sacrifices as specifically prescribed in the Old Testament, they have been fulfilled in Jesus, but we do offer to him and we offer ourselves. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice. And at least metaphorically speaking, the idea of frankincense is an appropriate gift for us to be offering to God. Prayer and a commitment to purity. We give ourselves as offering, offering ourselves as incense before the Lord as a gift to him. And I imagine that there's probably some who may be wondering and realizing that may sound good. You may even know that you've been called to be a royal priesthood, that you are free to come before God, that you offer yourself, that you are to pray before God. And yet you have times in your life, and you may even have one now, where you just feel like God is very distant, he's very quiet, and you're wondering whether he is hearing your prayer. What kind of priest can you possibly be if you feel like you are far from God? I don't know if you experience that much, but I do. I want to say periodically and sometimes even frequently. Isaiah spoke to Israel about that same kind of problem, that same kind of condition. Israel was feeling distant from God. They knew they were God's people, but... They just felt like God seemed far away. They were offering their prayers, and they just felt like they, were not, they weren't connecting. God was not listening. And Isaiah, speaking on behalf of the Lord in Isaiah 59, he writes this. He said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that, he cannot, that it cannot save, or his ear too dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. So here in Isaiah's day, through Isaiah, the Lord is saying, look, the reason your prayers are not being answered is because you lack purity in your life. We need to realize there could be any number of reasons at times where we may feel distant from God, but oftentimes the issue is because there's sin in our lives. and We lack purity and we allow the sin to go unchecked in our lives. And God is essentially saying, look, your life is filled with sin. And that's reflected in both faithlessness and sometimes even an outright rebellion. And consequently, God says, it's not that my arm is too short. In other words, it's not that I'm not strong enough or I can't reach that I can't save or do what you're asking me to do. And it's not that my ear is too dull. It's not that I'm losing my hearing and I, I just didn't hear you. God is saying that the problem is the lack of purity and that's why he's not responding and that's why no answers seem to be coming. Now, it's important that we also understand what God is not saying is, you know what, I'm just sick and tired of you. You know, all that I've given you, and this is the response, I've just, just had it with you, so I just, I'm just not going to listen to you. That's not what God is saying. See, he has given us Jesus, and we need to know, and we always need to hear that in Jesus Christ, all of your sins have been forgiven. You have been reconciled to God. 
you have a relationship with him. You have free access to God in Christ. That's something that cannot be broken. If you belong to Jesus, Jesus says, nobody can take you from me. And so the relationship with God is not broken. But then that leaves us wondering, then why are my prayers not being answered? Why would God, not, why would God remain quiet? And the answer is because God loves you very much. And he loves me very much. When he sees our lives taking a direction that is contrary not only to his purpose, but contrary to our good, that God remains silent at times in order to grab your attention. Silence can sometimes be roaring and a tremendous backdrop against which we can then hear the words that God is speaking to restore us and set us back on our course. I've had this happen in a number of ways in my, in my life. Perhaps one of the most memorable took place during my senior year in high school. My senior year in high school was a little different than probably most of your experiences. The second semester of high school, I, I lived by myself. My father, who is here incidentally this morning, uh, was sent by his company to Harvard for uh, leadership development. And my mother, who never really adjusted to life in Nashville, said, well, if you're going to be in Boston, she went back to our home in Philadelphia, and then they were a family was able to get together. She took my sisters and able to get together on the weekends, easy train, and so Nashville, long way apart, Philadelphia and Boston's an easy commute. But we had moved right before I started high school to, from Philadelphia to Oklahoma, and then right before I started my junior year from Oklahoma to Nashville, and I was getting ready to go to college anyway, and I'd never had been in a lot of trouble, at least not legally. Um, and so they felt that it would be inappropriate or perhaps harsh to make me pack up and, and move again when I was so close to finishing and, and going to school. So they allowed me to stay by myself. It's a trust that I, I didn't warrant and in retrospect may not have been wise, but nevertheless, that was that was my experience. And again, I wasn't in a lot of trouble. I wasn't likely to get in a lot of trouble. And so in one sense, it was not. It, it, while it, it's, it, it would be difficult, it would be different than if I had a, a long track record. And while I didn't have any police record, what I did get is a serious case of senioritis. And I got tired of being in school all day. And so I thought it might be good and maybe a good way to save some money if I, just, if I ate at home. The only problem was we did not have an open campus. And so I chose to go home without the consultation of our principal or any other teachers. This went on periodically uh, for a few weeks. And then one day I brought a friend home and we drove in his van. And so we pulled up. We lived on a mountaintop on the south of Nashville, on the furthest south of Nashville, right on, on the county line. And so we drove up, uh, up the hill into our drive. The trees had not yet come to full bloom, so our neighbors saw coming up around lunchtime one day during the middle of the week, knowing that my family was all out of town, and that I most assuredly was at school, saw a green van they'd never seen before pulling up into our house, staying for about an hour and then pulling back out. So one of our neighbors called my father's secretary, who apparently was married to the sheriff of the neighboring county in Williamson County, and so he graciously came and, and scouted out the house to make sure there was nothing funny going on. Now, we lived on the mountaintop. It was a peaceful day, and so we rarely locked our doors, any of our doors. 
when I came home that day, every door was locked. I had no key. I had to break a window to break into my own house. I wasn't sure exactly how the doors got locked until I got a call from my father that afternoon informing me of what he had been informed of and being no dummy, he had figured out that we weren't burglarized, that I had just been leaving school. So I got grounded in Nashville from Boston. <laughs> For those of you who are in college and teenagers, you need to realize as I move on with the story is that there was a day that there was no such thing as cell phones. And there was a day that while call waiting existed, not everybody had it and we didn't have it. Being tired of being stuck at home during my senior year of high school, the prime of life, because life pretty much is over with after that, <laughs> I had the great idea that, you know, I could just go out, I'll just take the phone off the hook, I'm a teenager, who would know the difference? Family's a thousand miles away. I'd go out, run an errand, eventually I'd go out a little bit longer, go to a Young Life meeting here or there, nothing that I was getting me into any trouble. And so maybe a little bit longer until a few weeks after of doing that and, and not hearing any problem, nobody seeming the wiser. Uh, a few minutes to a few hours became the better part of a weekend when I went and played in the Tennessee State Racquetball Tournament. I didn't hear from my father for a while, probably better part of a week or two. Uh, maybe it probably wasn't a two, but it was uh, several days. It, it, it crossed my mind. It seemed a little odd, longer than usual, but... Uh, not enough to cause me worry. And then one day when I was out on one of my excursions with the phone off the hook, I came in through the door and found my father standing in the living room. In quiet silence for just a moment. The only thing he then said was, if you can't follow the rules, I'll help you pack your bags right now. It was devastating. As I look back, there's a couple of things that I learned. One is that your sins do find you out. And the other is that fathers, because they want what is best for their children, they can sometimes grow amazingly silent when their kids are doing wrong. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. There are times where he may seem very silent and you just don't feel like you are hearing from him. You're wondering if there is something that's in the relationship that is broken. You are still his child. And yet against the roaring silence will soon come his word of restoration, of encouragement, sometimes of correction. It is an expression of our God's love. Because purity and prayer go together. Relationship and communication must go together. So I want to encourage you as you consider what you will give to Jesus this Christmas is to realize that a, as one who has been made a priest in the order uh, under the great high priest to give a gift of frankincense, a gift of prayer and purity that you are committing yourself to God and saying, Lord, I am yours, I will walk in your ways and I will enjoy the community and communion that I have with you that you have secured for me in the person of Jesus. Jesus, your gift to me. You are giving a gift that not only is appropriate, but at least as God was talking to through Isaiah, it's a gift that he desires. He desires that community. He desires that purity, not because he's trying to put you in your place, but because he's trying to help you get to your place.
So frankincense is an appropriate gift. It's a perfect gift for a perfect person. It is a practical gift for a priestly person. But if we consider it that way, there's also one last thing that as we wrap it up, it's also a profitable present from a prudent person. I know prudent's not a word that we normally use, but I was on an alliterative roll, so give me some break there. Um, but it just simply means to be wise and to be sensible. And if you are a wise and sensible person, then frankincense is a gift that you ought to consider giving to Jesus. The reason for that is it's not only something that he will appreciate and benefit, but it is something that profits us as well. When I gave some consideration as to what the priests were doing when they were ministering in the, middle, in the midst of the temple and they were offering the sacrifice or they were offering the, just the, the, the fragrant aroma, I began to think about those who were offering the gift and realized that they themselves would leave that place smelling as sweet and fragrant as the gift that they were giving. And the reality is, is when you and I choose to give to Jesus for Christmas, for his birthday, the gift of frankincense, at least metaphorically through our commitment to purity and our commitment to fellowship with God and communing with him through prayer, while God is pleased and God is blessed and God rejoiced that, you and I actually benefit because we then take on the aroma of the sweetness of Christ that has been given to us in the first place because we are ministering and giving that gift to him. In other words, we're giving a gift but and giving that gift, we actually reap benefits. And that makes it a profitable gift from a prudent person. So as your shopping days are winding down, your list is growing strong, uh, growing smaller, and you're still stuck on what you might give to Jesus for his birthday. Consider giving not only the gift of gold, which is giving of your best to God, giving a gift of frankincense yourself as incense offered to the Lord in purity and prayer. Let me pray. Father, as we consider your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. Some of our hearts are hard, whether it's because of our sin or just because of the the hardships and the gravity of life. We are in need of hearing your voice, of your instruction, of your counsel. We are in need of being reminded over and again that you love us and that your love was unconditional. And you demonstrated that perfectly by sending Jesus to us. You sent him before we had done anything that would warrant it. In fact, we were your enemies. You sent him to take our debt that you might give us his riches. And Father, while we know this message, I pray that we would be reminded of it from one another, from your word, as we see, see all of the representations of Jesus we would be reminded of how great your love is and the, giving, the gift that you've given to us that cannot be matched, cannot be earned. But knowing how great your love is for us, may our hearts then love you in response. Having been given a gift that is incomparable, 
May we give to you a gift. Appropriate for you. Pleasing to you. From our hearts and lives. Father, receive what we offer. I pray in Jesus' name.